The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for this week's Know Your Foe episode. We're looking forward to that Chargers game on Sunday. And joining me is Jamie Hoyle of the Lightning Round podcast. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ken. I appreciate it. Oh, oh absolutely. Uh, you know, you came recommended, so that's always good. Um, I want to, you know, a lot of people now in Baltimore have seen the uh, five or six minute uh, post-game press conference given by Staley after the last game. And it really seemed like a coach on the edge. Can I, can I take us through that a little bit in terms of, of what you saw from it? Yeah, I actually think he's been on the edge for quite a while. Um, one of the, the team's beat writer for the athletic, Daniel Popper, has been a lot of questions about how the loss to Jacksonville in the playoffs has impacted this season. Basically, after every game, he's asking him some version of the question of, <laughs> do you think the loss to Jacksonville is spilling over into this season and causing you to lose these close games? Um, and I think that's kind of set him on the edge. And I think we all know, you know, his defense isn't working, which was his calling card coming in and everything, everything with the exception of really Justin Herbert seems to be crumbling around him in a lot of ways. Is that the guy who asked the question obviously about, um, are you going to relinquish defensive play calling? It sounded like, and because he said, you don't have to ask that question ever again. <laughs> Did you hear that? I believe it was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's been getting a lot of questions about, about relinquishing defensive play calling. And that is, like I said, that, that was his calling card when the chargers hired him. Mm-hmm. It's I sure it's what he feels makes him different and makes him unique. It hasn't turned out that way, but that's what he thinks. Um, so of course he's not going to give it up. That's he's going to, he's going to cling to that because he feels like I'm sure it's going to turn at any second. So yeah, he's, he's definitely been on the edge for a while. The other thing that's made him very unique since he, since he came to the NFL is going forward on fourth down and some, uh, you know, some, some fourth and sizables. He's very driven by the extreme right edge of the analytics group. Um, that would that would go. Has that continued as much into this season, or has it slowed down at all? I believe, off the top of my head, they've gone fourth down fifteen times. That's a lot on those lines. Fifteen, sixteen. Okay. I don't have the stat right in front of me, but I think it's somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, he is not as aggressive as he in year one. Last year, he really backed off of going for it on fourth down. Um, he goes for it when he feels like 
going forward is going to directly impact the game is the best way to put it. He he's he'll tell you he leans on the numbers and on the analytics. So, um, you know, if he feels like getting a fourth down is going to put a game away in the fourth quarter, he's probably going to go for it. Uh, if he feels like getting a touchdown in a certain spot is going to change the game dramatically, he's going to go for it. Not as aggressive as he was, but certainly in fourth quarter and goal to go situations, he will roll the dice um, just depending on the situation and what the numbers say. So what was true in 2021 when the two teams last met was that he was big on going forward on fourth and three and fourth and four from the minus yard line locations where it's very unusual to do it. I, I don't, you know, I'm a mathematician myself. I don't feel like it's incorrect to do it. It's just, it's, I, you're, you're lopping a whole lot of variance into that play for, for a little bit of expected value. And I, I wonder, you know, the Chargers in, in 21 anywhere were a pretty good team, at least when the Ravens met them. Really, I don't know how they finished in 21. How did they finish? They finished uh, nine and eight, I okay. think, 10 and seven, something along those lines. And they made, they wound up ma- um, missing the playoffs. Missing the playoffs. Okay. So, nine and eight. so I believe they finished nine and eight and they, and they missed the playoffs. So, okay. yeah, you know, he, he isn't as aggressive in negative territory as he was in 2021. Like I said, he really backed off of the fourth down tries in, in, a lot of what seemed like very obvious circumstances where you you would really think he was going to go for it. He backed off. And in some ways, a lot of us thought maybe, you know, he was, he was being told by the front office not to go for it in certain situations because he took a lot of heat during the 2021 season from the media and after the season, uh, basically saying that his decisions to go for it cost him a playoff chance, which (laughs) I don't think was true personally. I think that's what made them unique. And then it's what made him unique. And he backed off of it, and now he's no longer unique, and he's on the hot seat. All it has to do is fail, and you get tons of questions. It's I thought that some of this would start to change with the advent of better mathematics and whatnot into the game. And you know, the Belichick fourth and two weekend many years ago now against the Colts. You remember that game at mm-hmm. Arizona twenty nine? Was the same weekend we saw a Neil Neil kick for one of the first times. It's like it's a very unusual to see Neil Neal kick a point at the end of a football game, but Jacksonville did it. And, and since then, um, you know, we've, the, the Ravens have actually won or not won. They've won one ball game and had another one, a chance to win a ball game with the other team, not doing a Neil Neal kick. So that's so the, the, uh, the bears scored a touchdown when, if they had just knelt at the one yard line or the five yard line or whatever, they would have easily been able to kneel Neal and kick the winning field goal. They scored a touchdown. The, the Ravens came back, got it tied and, and went to overtime and won it. The second time, um, the Pittsburgh Steelers gave the chance to the Ravens to do it, but they, uh, uh, they didn't get it done. So anyway, uh, I, I, I find this stuff fascinating. It's one of the things I really enjoy talking about in, in terms of the game. I will plug right now on the show. We've got a great fourth down math thing that I know is is going to be something that's it's, it's a little esoteric for this audience. But uh, if you want to understand like where some of the real geekdom is going in terms of fourth down math, this guy uh, and his name is Ryan Brill will be on on Thanksgiving Day. So I'm uh, uh, point people to that one. Uh, getting back to the, to the Chargers now, let's talk about their offseason, the key changes to the Chargers team that came in uh, uh, this year to make them different from 22. They didn't really make a whole lot of impactful free agent signings. They they kind of they said goodbye to Drew Tranquil, who was their best linebacker. He wound up signing with the Chiefs. Um, they brought in Eric Kendricks to replace him. That has not really worked out very well for them. 
They brought back Will Clapp as their backup center. Uh, other than that, there weren't really a whole lot of big changes to the roster via free agency. It was kind of a quiet offseason. They went all in the previous offseason. Um, you know, they signed J.C. Jackson. They brought in Sebastian Joseph Day. They brought in Austin Johnson, uh, really trying to fortify that defense. And it didn't really work. Um, and they they were up against the cap. And they had to restructure a lot of people. Um, they restructured Joey Bosa. I believe they restructured Khalil Mack. They restructured Keenan Allen. So um, they were in more of a cost-cutting mode and re- really relied on the draft to fill some of those holes. A lot of teams came out of the COVID years with um, a, a lot of cap shortage because of the overages that occurred there. Did the, the Chargers address those with a fair number of void years? Are there a lot of void years on the current contracts? They don't typically use a lot of void years they've they've restructured khalil mack twice since they traded for him um like i said they restructured joey bosa they they're typically pretty conservative when it comes to you know navigating the cap um they'll sign people they'll build in uh you know we call it rip cords an out clause after two or three years Mm -hmm. to give them an opportunity to escape a deal once the majority of the the guaranteed money has been paid but they historically have not really gone with too much. And actually, I don't think they've ever had void years added to a contract. It's just not how they operate. Um, they were just fortunate going into the 2022 season. They had a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal. So they had a ton of money to work with and they went out and spent as much as they could trying to really make a run before his contract, his his you know second contract hit um, and impacted the cap. Okay. Um, are there any players who are at a key contract crossroads right now? And the, the one I'm thinking about is maybe Asante Samuel in terms of being, uh, in case of him, he's a first round draft pick, right? So he would just have to make a decision. He was a second round draft pick. Oh, yeah. okay. So he's he's a candidate for extension uh, as soon as the season's over because he's in his third year. Uh, is he a guy, do you think they'll early extend or do you think that they don't have the commitment to him that that they might otherwise? I think they're in a situation where they're probably going to have to extend him. Um, they obviously traded JC Jackson and made a ton of money doing it. Um, they're at a point now where Michael Davis's contract is just about up. He's a free agent at the end of this year and he's playing horribly mm-hmm. going into this off season. I think a lot of people expected some sort of an extension from Michael Davis. He has played his way out of any possible possibility of an extension this year. Um, and they don't really have a whole lot, behind Asante Samuel Jr. You know, they've got um, Jasir Taylor, who's been playing a lot of slot this year, has not played particularly well. Uh, Dean Leonard, who was also drafted late in the 2022 draft behind Asante, uh, behind Jasir Taylor, excuse me, um, who they are trying to roll out and get more reps for to see what he has uh, going into next year. But they're going to be in a in a cap cutting mode going into next year uh, in a lot of ways, have some very difficult decisions to make on some very high priced veterans. And because of that, um, if there is somebody who is a priority for an extension, it's probably Asante Samuel Jr. Um, I think we'll see how things play out this year. And as we get more into the defense, we'll talk about some of the things that are, that's happening with the personnel and the secondary starting this week in terms of competition, which is never something you want to hear hmm. going into week 12. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Asante is probably the one guy that they're probably high, more than likely high focused on, tr- hyper focused on, I should say, trying to extend 
um, just because of the situation their secondary is in right now. Okay, well, I tell you what, we'll wait. We'll leave that for the defense. But I definitely saw some things in terms of yards per target that are incredibly troubling about the San Diego secondary that that I'm sure you'll be able to shed some light on. Let's uh, jump right over the quarterback situation. Uh, what's new and different about Justin Herbert's game this year? Uh, he, well, I, I think early in the year uh, there was some concern that he was not evolving uh, in terms of being able to see the field and anticipating throws. He's staring guys down, holding the ball, taking sacks, uh, struggling in some key situations. He had some good games, but there were some up and down games as well, and he was really struggling. I think the last couple weeks, we've seen him start to come out of that at least a little bit. Um, Last week in particular, even though they lost, Herbert really took over the second half and the fourth quarter in particular of the Green Bay game. Uh, He was extending drives with his legs, uh, anticipating throws, making some, you know, what Justin Herbert does, some ridiculous throws with his arm strength and his athleticism. Um, and he he also showed something that we've never seen before, emotion. He's usually very even keeled on the field. They had a, a delay of game in the red zone late in the, in the Green Bay game on Sunday, and he got pissed at his center, um, Will Clapp, and actually spiked the ball and chased him up down the line of scrimmage and screamed at him for not getting the ball to him fast enough. And he, Justin's usually very even keeled. So to see him show that level of emotion to me kind of speaks to him taking on that leadership mantle and starting to hold guys around him accountable. And then when you start to add the play, the, the on-field play to that, I think you're starting to see what the Chargers saw in him and what a lot of people see in him in terms of not just the physical ability, but now he's maturing emotionally and starting to take that leadership mantle. Okay. All right. How is he as a field general? Does he move people around pre-snap? Does he does he make obvious checks? Do they like to get to the line of scrimmage quickly and move people? How does that? How is um, that? It kind of depends on the game situation. So in terms of getting to the line of scrimmage quickly, um, they will play some not hurry up, but they'll play up tempo after first downs. Um, doesn't necessarily mean they'll snap the ball quickly, but they'll get to the line quickly and give mm-hmm. him time to adjust. Um, he does have the ability to check in and out of plays. Uh, something you'll notice during the game. I'm sure a lot of your fans, you said, you said your fans are pretty nuanced and they understand the game. Um, more often than not, if you hear Justin Herbert say, kill, kill, kill at the line of scrimmage, he's checking into a running play. Sure. Um, it's a pretty dead giveaway more often than not. Um, otherwise, you know, he does move people around. Uh, he, I don't, think he's at a point right now at least from what i've seen where he is he has free reign of the playbook to make changes at the line of scrimmage but he does have checks he can make and he is able to move people around and get them in position Mm -hmm. all right all right very cool uh let's move on talk about the offensive line its current state i usually go like to go left through right done a little research of my own on the on the line had some thoughts but i want you to kind of take me through them yeah so left to right you start with rashawn slater in his third year, uh, he was an all pro in his rookie year, was phenomenal. Missed most of last year with a torn bicep. Uh, came back this year and took a little while to get into things. And then he got hurt in the Raider game, which I believe was week four off the top of my head. Had somebody roll up the bank of his, the back of his ankle and he sprained his ankle. Um, he's a phenomenal athlete. 
He's, you know, quote unquote, short armed for a left tackle, Mm -hmm. but he generally wins because his hands are faster and his placement is better than defensive linemen. And he also has a ridiculous anchor. So even if you beat him with power off the line of scrimmage, he's generally able to drop that anchor and really sink into his hips and, and stop that bull rush. That has not been as much of the case this year as it had been in years past. I think it's got a lot to do with the ankle injury. He's just been banged up in his legs and that kind of, that kind of makes it difficult you know, obviously to drop that anchor and sink into your hips. Um, Not to break into this too much because I want to let you talk about the offensive line, but but the Ravens at rush linebacker, obviously I assume the the uh, charges are primarily right-handed. So Slater is often the naked tackle, uncovered tackle. On the, yes, on the he's left generally on an island by himself. Okay, so then he, he probably gets Adafi Owe, who is not only extremely quick, but very long-armed. Has he had a lot of experience playing against long-armed um, uh, defensive ends or edge rushers who've given him trouble or not? Um, I mean, he, I think this year's speed has been more of an issue for him. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, he's had some issues uh, dropping his anchor when he needs to, but both Chargers tackles have struggled with speed at times. In terms of long arm, I think he, he is, Slater is so technically sound. His timing is so good and his hand placement is so good more often than not, he will neutralize the long arms just because he's first. Okay. Um, so it's not something that worries me. It wasn't something that worried me in his college tape, and it's not really something that worries me at this point in his career. Um, and when I say short-armed, I think his, his arms are maybe a quarter inch to a half inch shorter than you know what people normally want. So it's not a huge deal, and he wins it with timing and technique. Um, so not something that I'm too worried about. Uh, their left guard is Zion Johnson. He's now entering his second year, uh, almost through his second year. Uh, he's a guy who played right guard last year. Now he's playing left guard, which is his natural side. Uh, he has had his moments. He can be very good in the running game. Uh, when the Chargers run power with him and Jamari Salyer, their right guard, they can have a lot of success at times. Uh, he has struggled in pass protection quite a bit. It was an issue last year. It continues to be an issue this year. Uh, I think a lot of the issues in pass protection has been because they have been playing without their center, Corey Lindsley, mm-hmm. and Will Clapp has been playing center. And I just think they're struggling with communication. They're struggling with passing things off, and they're not identifying blitzes and stunts the way they would if Lindsley was on the field. So what you're getting is a lot of leaks in the interior just because – they're not seeing things. The center isn't seeing things and they're not getting communicated properly. And they're just not passing off and executing on the interior. This, this is the Ravens team is a team that lives and dies by the stunt this year. They've, they've, they've stuck primarily the four man pass rush, but an unbelievable number of stunts. Does Herbert, do do the typical routes, the chargers won't run allow the time to develop or as Herbert have a number of quick outs, a lot of wide receiver screens, a lot of little swing passes to backs and whatnot, a lot of slants that get the ball out of his hand quickly. And so that the stunts are less effective because they do take time to develop is one of the, one of the things. They, yeah, no, that's a good question. They do both. Um, when they're picking up big chunks in the passing game, it, they're usually running a lot of crossers, a lot of digs and posts, things like that. They haven't had a lot of success throwing the ball deep in terms of go routes down the sideline, mm-hmm. uh, but they'll attack the seams and they'll get behind the linebackers uh, when they can. But in terms of short passing games, 
they have a pretty diverse short passing game. Obviously, they have Austin Eckler. They like to throw the ball to him out of the backfield quite a bit, both in terms of swing passes, screens, and he, he's a and he's an excellent route runner. He wasn't in Green Bay last week when he slipped in the in the final drive, but typically speaking, he's a he's an excellent route runner out of the backfield. Um, and they also run a very good horizontal passing game. They they do have the slants and the quick outs. They'll run bubble screens, smoke screens, tight end screens, things of that nature to try to get the ball out quickly um, and let people create after the catch. So that they they have ways to combat those sort of things if they're having trouble um, with the stunts. Uh, and I, I think you'll see some of that this weekend. Okay. All right, great. So you got to Will Clapp, who's everybody's replacement level center. And- yeah, he's just – He's a warm body. I mean, uh-huh. I, I hate to say that about an NFL player, but he's just, he's not very good. He's not very good in terms of physical blocking and the the mental recognition side of identifying blitzes, picking up stunts, things like that um, is not great. So he's very much, in my opinion, a liability, um, mostly because of the communication issue, but also because of some of the physical aspect of it as well. Um, and then on the other side of him, you've got Jamari Salyer, who is, I believe, a former sixth round pick last year out of Georgia. Um, and he played some left tackle last year, did a great job filling in for Slater. Now he's playing right guard, which is more his natural position, although he played up and down the line at Georgia. Um, he's another kind of heavy footed power guy, which is why they have so much success running power uh, when they do. Um Again, a little plotting can struggle a little bit with blitzes, blitzes, stunts, and twists, twists, and can have a hard time with really athletic interior rushers. Okay, all right. So, uh, has he, he's been uh, not graded out too well? It doesn't look like on PFF or what that's worth. Uh, are his pass blocking? I mean, he's been at left tackle, filled in for Slater, and not been terrible. How's his pass blocking been at right guard? Kind of like Zion Johnson, very up and down, to be honest with you. He'll have his moments. They'll have moments for the first three quarters of games where it seems like they're communicating well and they'll kind of buck up and the whole line will block well and give Herbert protection. But they've had major issues in the fourth quarter, particularly in the last five minutes of games with pass protection breaking down. Um, Something you'll see, I'm sure the, the Ravens have seen this on film, you can have a lot of success against the Chargers offensive line by overloading one side. It confuses things. They have a hard time um, handling extra bodies and you'll wind up almost always wind up getting a free rusher at the quarterback. It's something huh. that um, opposing teams had success doing against Kellen Moore's blocking schemes when he was in Dallas. It has continued to be an issue with, with the Chargers and it's not something that we've really seen any kind of a correction or a fix for when they're in gotta have it situations, everybody's sending multiple people to one side. It doesn't matter if it's left or right. They can't handle the extra body and somebody's coming through a gap and getting a free shot. Okay. All right. Well, very good. There's four man rushes and four man rushes and the Ravens use a lot of the complex four man situations where they drop somebody and overload a side stunt, um, blitz somebody off from off ball to, to get the extra rusher there. And especially if you're talking about getting the free runner, but they, what they've got a lot of is, uh, slot corner blitzes this year. They they have six sacks from their slot cornerbacks. Wow, so that's really unusual in terms of a of thing. You, you Derwin James, you know, obviously is it would be the the analog to who who uh, uh, Kyle Hamilton uh, is now. But uh, but anyway, we'll we'll get to him a little later. 
Uh, right tackle. Right tackle is Trey Pipkins, um, former third round pick. He was a free agent at the end of last year. He had his best. He had a career year last year, even though he was hurt a lot. Stepped up, played injured, played well in spots, um, and I think he got paid mostly because he far exceeded what were very low expectations for him going into the season. Um, and he has not really lived up to his contract in the first year. Uh, he's another one who really struggles with speed. Uh, you can just see guys racing around him at times off the right side. Uh, he, he, he's been healthy this year. He's had a lot of injury problems throughout most of his career. He's been mostly healthy. He's been reliable in terms of he's available and he's on the field. Uh, They've just had with him and Sally, or they've had some issues on the right side in pass protection and in the running game that they've just had a really hard time fixing. All right. All right. A lot of draft capital on that offensive line. Not not two ones, but a one, a two, and a three. Uh, expensive free agent in terms of Corey Lindsley bringing him in. And then uh, uh, I guess the cheap guy is the right guard, right? So he's Sally or is, was a six, right? Actually, it is two ones. Slater and Zion Johnson were both first round picks. Oh, I forgot. Number 17 overall, right? He wasn't the second round pick. Yep. Okay, let's move on. We'll talk about the wide receiver core next. So you're not going to recognize a lot of these names. The Chargers are really banged up at at wide receiver. Obviously, everybody knows going in Keenan Allen. Um, Arguably, he's definitely one of the best route runners in the league, if not the best. The guy just finds ways to get open and make plays. Uh, Hands are great. He's not a guy who's going to beat you deep. He's not really a guy who is going to make a a ton of plays down the field unless it's in like the deep and intermediate crossing game, assuming you can find the time to run that. Um, But he's a guy who's going to play out of the slot more often than not. They move him around a lot of jet motion. They try to hide him. Um, And he he's making generally making plays in that, zero to 10, zero to 15 yard range. Um, They're trying to find opportunities for him to make catch and run opportunities in the, you know, up the seam in the middle of the field behind the linebackers. Obviously if they're in the slot, they're trying to find ways to match him up with linebackers when they can. Uh, He, he is the passing game. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he's, he's having a career year. He's been phenomenal this year. Uh, He's 30 years old, I believe entering a career, I think he's entering a contract year, if I'm not mistaken. He might have one year left on his deal. Um, normally, we'd have Mike Williams to deal with. He's hurt, as usual. Um, <laughs> Josh Palmer, their third, their their third wide receiver, who was on his way to becoming a pretty big part of the passing game this year, is on IR. He's been on there for two weeks, so he's going to be out for a while. Um, they drafted Quentin Johnston, who a lot of Chargers fans were really excited for. He's been very problematic. I'm sure you've seen the clips of him dropping the potential game-winning touchdown pass last week in Green Bay. He's had a lot of issues with drops. He's been out of position. He's, I think, in a lot of cases, not run the correct routes. He just has been really struggling picking up the NFL game, um, and they need him to step up because of the shape that the the passing game, the the wide receiver room is in right now. Um, then you've got Darius Davis, who was their fourth round pick in the draft this year, primarily a returner. They'll use him as a gadget guy. He'll play some running back. He'll take some reverses and sweeps and things like that. Um, they haven't thrown the ball to him too much. He's a, he's small, a little on the slight side, and they just haven't really figured out how to get him involved in the passing game, but you will see him get the ball in the running game at times. 
Um, and then they've got a couple guys that they called up last week who I think will be playing this week because of the shape the the wide receiver room is in. Uh, Alex Erickson, uh, who I think he's out of Florida, if I'm not mistaken. He's been on some practice squads. Uh, he played last week, and he played the majority of the snaps in his first NFL game. He was They basically played three wide receivers last week, and he was the third wide receiver. Um, and then Simi Fehoko, who they got from the Dallas practice squad a couple weeks ago, played one snap last week. Um, and Jalen Guyton, who just came off the IR, but he did not play last week, was not active. Actually, he was active and didn't play, I think. Um, who is their speed guy. He's the downfield threat that they really missed last year. They're trying to get him back up to speed, but he has not been productive in his limited time back. Okay. So I've got some questions at wide receiver. I want to go back to Allen for a second. Um, has he been lining up a lot in the slot or lines up all over X, Z, X, Y, Z, whatever? He is their primary slot receiver, but he will line up all over. They will move him around to try to create matchups and, and get him in space. Okay. So he's a, he's a, gigantic receiver so he's like a modern big slot you you would say at 62 211 roughly in terms of his of his size and the ravens have been doing a lot of moving kyle hamilton up to play the nickel in fact it's really the position where i think he can be the most impactful to the ravens and i think it makes sense kind of like derwin james you want him close to the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. uh with the opportunity to make plays rather than kind of hiding him back at strong safety where you don't know if he's going to get involved in a lot of plays uh is a has he had any trouble with bigger slot corners or ever faced anybody like that who'd be a, a kind of a larger slot? Uh, he can struggle with press at times. Um, he because he isn't overly explosive and he relies on his releases and his footwork to get open. Uh, when bigger corners get their hands on him and press him, he can have a hard time creating separation. So that'd be something to look out for. I don't think it's necessarily a size thing, just so much as guys just jamming him up and not letting him off the line of scrimmage. Does that, does that have an impact on Herbert? Is if, When timing is off on a play, does that tend to mess up Herbert? Or is Herbert pretty fluid in rereading the, and regaging the field as, as a play develops? Um, this is kind of a cop-out of an answer, but I would say it depends. Um, there are times when Herbert is excellent at getting through his progressions and finding the open guy and getting the ball out. And there are times where he is – zeroed in on Keenan Allen and the ball is going to Keenan Allen, whether it should or not. And that's just the way it is. And a lot of times what you'll see when, when that pops up, it's usually because Justin does not, he doesn't trust the pass protection. Um, he's they're getting to him early in the game. They're creating pressure. They're moving him off his spot and he's just going to go to the guy that he trusts because I mean, I just went through the name of receivers, the names of all the receivers and you recognized what two of them. Yep. So uh, it, it makes sense that he's going to want to go to the guy that he trusts the guy that he's played with since he was a rookie. Um, But yeah, there are definitely times where Justin can be better getting through his progressions, anticipating and just taking what the defense is giving him instead of relying too much on Keenan. Is, is there a mind meld between those players? And we have, we have the, the Jackson Andrews mind meld is well known here in Baltimore as being, the most common bailout receiver on extended plays. And Jackson, of course, extends a lot of plays. So the question is with, with Herbert and the plays that he extends, does he really look for Allen more than normal or does he have a single receiver that he's more likely to go to who is a he trusts in contested catch situations? I mean, he's going to trust Keenan. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily call Keenan a contested catch guy. Uh, but if it's a broken play, if it's an extended play, he's getting out of the pocket. He's trying to find a way to get the ball to Keenan, although that doesn't mean that he won't look for other guys. We've seen him in spots roll right and he'll find a broken play. He'll get the ball to Quentin Johnson, for example. It's just mm-hmm. he'll throw to whoever's open once he gets out of the pocket, but he does want to get the ball to Keenan because he knows Keenan's going to make the play and he doesn't know that about the other guys. In terms of Johnson, um, he was drafted the very pick before Zay Flowers. So I think that that you know that certainly has been something that's kind of worked out for the Ravens because Flowers has been a big part of the offense. But uh, did, was there a big divide among Chargers fans among what type of receiver they wanted uh, at that spot, or, or or even that they wanted a receiver at all in that first round of the draft? Um, I mean, there were some Chargers fans who wanted a tight end, uh, but I think most Chargers fans realized this Chargers offense has been limited by a general lack of speed and explosiveness for a mm-hmm. while. They have big, I don't want to say plotting, but not overly fast or explosive wide receivers, guys who have a hard time creating separation. Uh, and they needed somebody who could get himself open, somebody who could meet people missing the open field. Um, I wanted Zay Flowers. I can tell you that the guys on our, my, my co-hosts on our podcast, they all wanted Zay Flowers. Um, it was something that we just felt was the perfect complement to what the Chargers had in their wide receiver room. And I, I just loved watching Zay's tape. He was, I believe he was my number one receiver in the draft. So he, that was the guy that I wanted. And what we were told after the draft pick was the plan was to take Zay. Uh, but at the last minute, Kellen Moore said he had a plan for Quentin Johnston. He was going to be his CD lamb and he had to have him to make the offense work. And they wound up going with Quentin Johnston, and we haven't seen any of what um, what he thought he was going to do with him so far in his rookie season. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to either the tight ends or the running backs, whichever you'd like to do next. Uh, well, well, we'll go with the tight ends. It's another group of people that you're probably not going to recognize the names a whole lot. Um, Jared Everett is their tight end one. Uh, he's been – one of their more reliable weapons the last two years since he came to LA. He's not a guy who, you know, necessarily strikes a lot of fear into a defense, but he is, he has been their single best yards after catch option among the tight ends and the wide receivers. He just, there's just a desire and a fight there after he catches the ball, he will run through and over people to get extra yards, you'll think he's down after two or three yards. He'll wind up with a 15-yard gain. Um, he is banged up. He did not play last week. I'm not sure what his status is for this week. We shall see. Um, but he's a guy that is – he's a big part of their short short passing game, and they need him back, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, their tight end, too, right now is Donald Parham. He's a six-foot, eight-inch – freak of nature uh, came out of the XFL and he is, he's been a tease so far. He's now on his second contract with the chargers. Um, They will find, they'll scheme ways to get him open. They'll get him open in the screen game at times. They've started using him in the deep crossing game. Um, And he is good with the ball in his hands after the catch. Um, He's become a red zone weapon. I think he's got, I want to say nine touchdown catches or something crazy like that in the last three years. Uh, and he's hardly ever on the field. Um, 
so they like I, I could stop you for a second. It looks like he's played a lot of snaps recently. I mean, I'm looking at support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's got 330 snaps on the year, and looks like I'd say he's played 32, 34 snaps a game from what I'm seeing here. Yeah, he's been healthy this year. Okay. Um, the last couple of years, he has not been healthy. He's had he had a stinger at the end of the 2021 season, missed a lot of time during 2021, was off and on the field last year, I think, with a calf injury and a couple other injuries. He's a guy who he'll go up and make a catch, but not a big fan of contact. And he'll, he tends to get hurt when he takes a hit. He's just been kind of fragile, although he has been durable and healthy this year. And he is surprisingly for a guy, his size at six, eight or six, nine, he's become a pretty decent blocker in the running game. Hmm. Um, not great, but he'll generally be in the middle of a successful running play uh, when he's on the field. How are they? It seems like 
obviously there's could be a lot of reasons for this yards per target are at a career low for him this year at 6.2 and he had a 10.0 season last year any reason you can point to for the for the drop off when obviously it might have been a small sample size last year maybe fewer snaps i just think it's more snaps and more targets okay and it's just a function of the way the offense works um like i said they've struggled with pass protection at times and they've had entire stretches of games where they've had to get the ball out faster um, on shorter routes. So okay. they just haven't had the opportunity to push the ball down the field with him. And right. also dragged down by his, his, his impact in the, in the red zone, because they don't run the ball really at all outside of the the Miami game this year. They've had a, a really hard time getting any traction in the ground game. And uh, they will throw the ball to Parham from the one yard line from the goal line. So he has a lot of really short passes that are impacting the game they're just not using him down the field. Okay, very good. That that certainly could explain it. How about you move on to running back? Talk, talk about a little bit about that. Got one more tight end to talk about. It's Stone Smart. He's their tight end three. Um, he is their kind of pet project. He was a quarterback and a wide receiver. I'm trying to think of where he went to school. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but they just love the athleticism. He's 6'4", 6'5", and Old runs Dominion. really well. Um, and they are converting him into a tight end. He's developing as a blocker, had a couple of real nice catches, a long touchdown catch and run in Green Bay last week. And he's he's kind of developing into a weapon up the seams um, when they need to get the ball. You know, in that intermediate passing range behind the linebackers, a lot of times they'll look at him. Okay, very good. Um, he's old Dominion, by the way. I, I don't know if you heard that when when I thank you. Yeah, from, but um, running backs. One of the things I notice is that uh, it's, this has been a team that's run for a very good number of yards per carry. Kind of what's what's behind that scheme wise in terms of of uh, doing it? Is that they have good yards after contact backs? Or do they get a lot of level two opportunities to start with? Uh, what's what's creating a lot of this uh, good yards per uh, carry? I'm surprised to hear you say that because it feels like they're always running for one or two yards. Um, make sure I have it right. <laughs> it's possible I don't. <laughs> so okay. they're one. Of, they're, I think they're the worst running team in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. I, if if I've got this wrong, and I was looking at the Rams or something when I when I did it, that would be just like me. Is all I can say. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, go go ahead and talk a little bit about the running backs before. So we the running backs, um, obviously, um, you know, if you play fantasy football, if you're an NFL fan, their number one running back is Austin Eckler. Um, excellent at catching the ball out of the backfield. Until this year, he's always been very explosive in the screen game and in the running game. Um, he had a protracted contract argument with the chargers in the off season wanted an extension. They didn't give it to him asked to be traded. They let him go out and shop himself. He could not find a trade partner or anybody who was willing to pay him. They came back and kind of restructured his deal and gave him a little extra money. Um, but he did not get what he wanted and he was very outspoken against uh, about wanting to get paid about how running backs are being treated. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a running back summit during the off season yes. where they got together and talked about the pay and it came out that they were recommending uh, kind of milking injuries to as leverage to get paid. And it was suggested that Austin might've been the one that suggested that, um, that, that came out of that meeting and he was one of the guys that led that meeting. Um, Austin is not the same guy he's been. He's a, I believe he's going to turn 30 later this year. Uh, he looks 
slower. Uh, he had a huge slip and fall in the red zone and fumbled the ball that cost the Chargers a touchdown in Green Bay last week. Uh, had a long run, which was really nice, uh, but got caught from behind, which is not something we're used to seeing. He kind of looks like he's running with a piano on his back uh, the last couple of weeks. Just looks very slow and stiff for whatever reason. Um, their running back, too, is Joshua Kelly, former UCLA running back. Um, Eckler is the slasher. Um, Kelly, I think in their eyes is more of a power back. I wouldn't really call him a power back, but I just, he's more of a one cut and go kind of a guy, downhill runner, um, limited vision, not overly elusive. He's going to get to the second level, probably run to contact and get tackled. Uh, not a great pass protector, not much of a receiver. Um, and they have other running backs on the roster in, um, Elijah Dotson and Isaiah Spiller, who was a fourth round pick yeah. last year. Spiller has been inactive pretty much all year. I think he was inactive for one or two games. Healthy, healthy scratch. Healthy scratch. Yeah. Wow. Wow. No wow, idea wow. what's going on there. Yeah. You know, they're having a really hard time grinding out tough yards. And Spiller is that 215, 220 bound back. He's built for the grind. For whatever reason, he can't get on the field. Not even on the field. He's not even active on game days, which is Really frustrating. They've, they've never taken a chance with him and, and tried to drop him to the practice squad during this whole time, right? They've, they've had him on the 53. He's been on the 53. And he's been a healthy yeah. scratch pretty much his entire career outside of a handful of games. That would be a very, very interesting player for the Ravens to go after this offseason, I'd say. They're going to lose Gus Edwards, and and uh, I really liked him coming out of school. So we'll uh, we'll see about that. I have, I have some questions about the running backs. Yeah. So shoot. first of all, Jamie gave a completely un- prompted piano reference i just want to point out that was not me saying that i talk about that all the time the piano jumped us back that got but, uh, but that uh that was not me we had a, pro- a lot of problems with jk dobbins who participated in that same zoom call you talked about last year had a lot of problems finishing runs and he was he was leaving a lot of yards on the field at the end of play still great yards per carry number um but he, but he got uh, he had some pianos catch up to him at the end of uh, runs and, and uh, <laughs> uh prevent him from getting into the end zone um i I, did, I had not heard that about um you know eckler being one of the guys who had led this zoom call uh it seemed kind of ill-advised to be known publicly if you want to have that kind of a cabal, you go to that, you know, secret handshake club in New York City <laughs> where you go nine levels down and you and you meet there and you have the discussion. You don't make a publicized Zoom call about it that says, here are all the bad things we can do to try and make teams pay us more. Um, it just seems tremendously ill-advised, you know, in, yeah, in terms of – I that. would agree. Yeah. You, you let something that like that leak out and you're not getting paid. Yeah. So – and then people are always questioning if you're really hurt. Uh-huh. That's, that's exactly what will happen. In Dobbins' case, it's not really a question. He got injured in the very first game, and and uh, you know, obviously, all the all the Ravens fans know this. But I think his chance to return to the Ravens has gone to roughly zero. There is a slight chance more than it was that he would come back because if he played out the season, he was definitely gone for for you know significant money. I would have thought if he'd had a good season. But if he since he didn't, and he's only played, I think he's looking at a vet man plus incentives contract. And I don't even think it'll be with the Ravens, given the fact that that Keaton Mitchell has really exploded onto the scene and and been a ball player. So uh, it'll be interesting to see that. And and um, you know, kind of a kind of troublesome to hear about Eckler. I, I I looked up the Chargers' overall run game. Looks like they're right in the middle of the pack, 16th in the league at 4.1 yards per carry, which means they should do better against a Ravens team that unbelievably has shook off its roots of trying to be a run defense team first 
and for the first time really in team history has said, we dare you. Go ahead and run the ball. Go Try and get down the field on us and go a little slower. What we're going to stop you from doing is passing the ball. And they've allowed a team record lowest 4.18 yards per pass play, which is that's unbelievably out of kilter with the NFL currently. And 4.5 yards per non-kneel on the ground, which is also way out of kilter with the Ravens. The Ravens for their first 20 seasons did not allow um, opponents to carry for as much as four yards per play for the year. So uh, this is not a team that's used to, to, to giving up yards on the ground, but they, they've, they've now committed to it more or less with their, uh, their two high shells and uh, are really, uh, I think that'll be one of the themes of this game is the Chargers will have to decide whether they're going to run against that or whether they're going to try and pass against it, which, which pretty much all quarterbacks have had trouble throwing down the field against these two high shells. Yeah, I mean, that's that two high shell, you know, go ahead and run it. We dare you to pass it. That's Brandon Staley's calling card as well. Mm -hmm. They run, a, well, they try to run a very similar scheme. It's something he brought to the league with the Rams, and it seems like, Everybody runs it better than he does. He does. So it's been very frustrating. So in terms of of um, where Derwin James plays in that cell, does that actually minimize Derwin James' impact by playing him exclusively on the back end? Because James really made his calling card as a great pass rusher in his rookie year, among other things. I mean, he got, guy's an incredible athlete, but certainly as a great pass rusher is one of the big things that, that people loved about him. Actually, that's a great question because that's something that we've struggled with. Um, for the last couple of years is he has been playing deep more this year than what we like. Um, and it's really because Alohi Gilman's back there with him and they basically have two strong safeties playing deep and they need Derwin back there to cover for Alohi Gilman because Gilman, he's great coming downhill and playing the ball in front of him. But once he's got to run, you know, East West or cover the deep part of the field, it really becomes a challenge for him. So Derwin's played a lot of too high, this year. Um, but that's getting ready to change. He played a lot of slot, what Staley calls the star in his scheme last week in green Bay. And Staley came out either yesterday or today and said, they're taking Jasir Taylor off the field as the star. And that's going to be Derwin's role, which means now they're going to have Alohi Gilman and Dean Marlowe back deep. Um, and Marlowe has been a godsend for them playing deep since they, they brought him up. I think it was during, the Vikings game, it was either the Vikings game or the Raiders game. They, they brought him up for the practice squad for the first time. And he just kind of blended into the defense, which is exactly what you want to see from a free safety. He was everywhere he needed to be, almost had two or three interceptions, was just right on spot. So hopefully having him back there with Alohi Gilman allows Derwin to roam a little bit more, play that star, be on the line of scrimmage, and they can use him more as a blitzer because, yes, playing Derwin deep, that limits his effectiveness. He is much better, much more instinctive, much more dangerous playing closer to the line of scrimmage. The, the deeper he gets, the further away he gets from the line of scrimmage, the less effective he is. It was that way in college. It continues to be that way in the NFL. So this is really interesting because these are basically two teams which are moving exactly the same direction with their first round 14 and 16 draft picks, um, moving them up to basically play slot corner where the most effective Hamilton finished the year last year at slot corner um, and was absolutely outstanding. They, they still call him a safety in, in various ways. And they thought they would move him to strong safety this year, 
But when they did, it really reduces his impact on the game in terms of playmaking. And he, uh, you know, like Jerwin James, very long arm, looming presence underneath Hamilton, even more so because he's taller. Um, that that uh, is very hard for quarterbacks even to throw over. And he's already had, you know, against Pittsburgh, he had a t- Pittsburgh. Now, who was it? Ah, well, the, against the Browns. He had the tip pass off Watson for the touchdown on a quick out. That's, that was totally schemed up for exactly that result, by the way. He started off ball and, and and came up, tipped the ball to himself like a basketball player and took it right in on the second play of the game. But they've they've uh, they've gotten so much out of him, including three sacks and a half against uh, the Indianapolis Colts uh, going off the edge. But I don't think there's any choice that they can try and continue to put him on the back end. And Geno Stone has filled in, gotten six interceptions on the back end. Williams is now back healthy. So I think the pressure is going to be for that. I'm actually very concerned now. That's my biggest concern of the game all of a sudden, that Derwin James is back up playing what I think is going to be his most impactful position. Uh, Listeners to this show will know um, I I went absolutely ballistic when the Ravens did not draft Derwin James when he fell into their lap. (laughs) At number 16. I mean, it went absolutely ballistic on draft day. They traded down twice. They eventually get, got uh, Hayden Hurst, who is not a particularly good play. But um, I, I the whole draft was setting up on, like, they're going to get Derwin James because one of those two. And Minka Fitzpatrick, the other guy I wanted, uh, ends up getting drafted at number, I think it was 11, uh, by Miami. And and uh, um, then, the, then you know, the, the, the New Orleans jumped right in front. Of course, and they maybe were doing. They take Davenport, a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought they should have taken Lamar Jackson at that point. But anyway, they, they, yeah, <laughs> Duran James not not going to the Ravens was a was a real blood pressure raiser in our household. I'll, I'll tell you. Well, that. I'm glad you didn't because Derwin James in that defense would have been a nightmare. <laughs> That's something the fun. league doesn't need to see. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's continue talking and let's maybe start um, with, with with what I always like to do is on the in terms of how the team lines up to face uh, opponents. Do they like to do uh, on on passing downs? Do they play nickel? Do they play dime? I know against Jackson in that 2018 playoff game, they they famously played a ton of quarter, uh, seven defensive backs on the field for almost every play. What what do they like to play normally on passing downs? They play a lot of quarters and a lot of cover six. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm talking package and not not the coverage type. Oh, now. my mistake. So, so in terms of number of defensive backs, do so they replace the weak side linebacker? Do they they go to some kind of thirty one up front or a, or a four man front with seven defensive backs behind that? Because that's what they did in the, against the Ravens in that playoff game. They they typically are um, four man front with two linebackers. They play big nickel basically. Okay, uh, five defensive backs on the field. You don't see seven on the field that often for them. Um, unless it's very matchup specific um, okay. or, you know, if a linebacker's hurt or something along those lines, they might sneak in a couple extra defensive backs, but more often than not, it's five defensive backs on the field. Um, up until this week, the five defensive backs were typically Michael Davis, Asante Samuel Jr., Jasir Taylor, Derwin James, and Alohi Gilman. Uh, I alluded to it earlier. Staley earlier this week said that they are basically opening up the, the secondary the competition because nobody is playing well. Um, So what that probably means for this game is we already talked about Derwin playing more slot or star, uh, which I think is his best position. Uh, It also probably means Michael Davis coming off the field and second year player, Dean Leonard taking his spot. Um, Michael Davis is a guy who coming into this season, we thought would be a critical piece of the Chargers secondary. 
Uh, we really expected he and JC Jackson to be outside with Asante Samuel Jr. inside. Uh, it did not play out that way. Even when JC Jackson was on the team and healthy, it didn't really play out that way. Um, Michael Davis is a long athletic press man corner. Not great with, with um, change of direction. He's fast, but recovery speed isn't all that great. And if once he gets beat, it's really hard for him to recover um, and change direction. So he has struggled. He's lost his press man skills. He's completely lost in the chargers quarters, heavy and cover six heavy scheme. Um, and he's just not playing. He's been terrible. I mean, just, he looks like a completely different guy. If you watch the chargers last year, particularly if you watch them against the dolphins against the 49ers or the first half against the Jaguars in the playoffs, Davis was manned up airtight against the other team's number one wide receiver gets hands on them, jams them. They couldn't get anywhere. He was shutting guys down, just erasing guys. That has not been the case this year. So now they're going to put Dean Leonard out there. He is a former sixth or seventh round pick last year out of old miss, um, a project, a developmental guy, uh, another guy who's big and fast. Uh, he has had a hard time getting his head around. So he will draw pass interference penalties at times. Um, we'll see how they use him. The Chargers are very zone heavy. It almost doesn't matter who they're playing. They're going to play quarters. Uh, they're going to give you big cushions, give you an opportunity to run your route and try to come up and tackle you. And they're bad tacklers in the secondary. So that's a really bad recipe for success. So one of the things I noticed about the entire secondary, and it's interesting that he's making wholesale changes at exactly this time, but the yards per target numbers are some of the worst I've ever seen in, in, in one group. But here's the bigger problem. You mentioned Taylor and Davis as two guys, just your Taylor and, and uh, Davis, who are going to lose playing time um, more than likely as the Chargers move forward this year. They're bad, but they're not that bad. I mean, Taylor's allowing 7.0 yards per target, Davis 7.5 it's the, the the other players who are utterly terrible. Uh, you know, Asante Samuel is at 9.7 yards per target this year. Derwin James at 9.9 yards per target this year. And Alohi Gilman is at 11.9 yards, per, which is one of the highest figures I've ever seen at this point in the season. But um, it's just, it, it's truly awful. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, some of the things about Gilman. I, I saw he somehow had a very good coverage grade from PFF, which is like, it's not matching up with what I'm seeing in, in terms of the metrics. Not at all. No. So... Um, a lot of those yards per target numbers, I think, are directly related to how the Chargers go about covering. I mentioned they play a lot of quarters. They play a lot of cover six. I mean, you're going to be dumbfounded when you see the way they play coverage because mm -hmm. not only are they playing off, but they're giving 12-yard cushions on third and two. I mean, they're terrified of giving up the big play, but all they do is give up the big play. Um, they're out of position. There's confusion on the back end. Uh, guys are knocking each other out of out of their zones. I mean, they are totally and completely and utterly lost with Brandon Staley's defense. They have not a clue what is going on, and they can't get off the field on third and 15. They can't get off the field on third and 20. They're either committing stupid penalties or they're just giving up chunk plays up the seam, down the sideline, middle of the field. It doesn't matter. Every blade of grass is open all the time. It is hands down, the worst performing secondary in the league. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. I'm sure Ravens fans will find that very optimistic from this. But the move of Derwin James back to back to nickel concerns the hell out of me in terms of, of what that would do for that defense. Uh, let's let's talk about the uh, the 
off-ball linebackers, I guess, next in terms of who they have who generally does not line up on the line of scrimmage. And you, you mentioned they're more of a committed nickel team. Talk a little bit about those guys. Yeah, I mean, the, the linebackers you're going to see for the vast majority of the snaps on Sunday are Kenneth Murray and Eric Kendricks. Uh, Murray, former first-round pick, he's a guy who Staley, at least among Chargers fans, famously said a couple years ago, he is our best coverage linebacker, which is not true. Um, Murray's a fantastic athlete. You'd almost say he's a freakish athlete, explosive in a lot of ways. Um his tackling has improved, but he's always been a guy who was a high tackler took questionable angles to the ball and just missed a lot of tackles because he was trying to blow guys up and his angles were bad. Um, he's improved against the run. He's become something of a weapon as an extra rusher or a blitzer uh, from that linebacker spot. Um, Kendricks, obviously former Viking been playing for a long, long time. Uh, former all pro that's not who he is anymore. Uh, Kendricks is slow. Uh, simply put, teams are attacking Murray and Kendricks in space. They're putting them in a position to chase guys across the field, and they can't do it. Um, so you're seeing big, big catch-and-run opportunities in the middle of the field because these guys can't cover. And even though Murray can run, their angles are bad, and they're just getting lost in coverage consistently. Um, Kendricks is a guy who he'll flash every once in a while against the run, uh, but he really has been kind of a net negative for the Chargers. They brought him in to to wear the green dot, be the captain of the defense. Um, he was hurt and I think had a family emergency or a death in the family or something. Early in the season, Murray took over the green dot, and I don't think he's relinquished it since, Mer- since Kendricks came back. Um, Kendricks is a guy that, I mean, the, the, the Ravens are one of the best coach teams in the league. They're going to attack Kendricks left and right in the passing game. I'm sure we'll see say flowers on him at times. Uh, I'm sure we'll see them just create matchups for Kendricks in space and he's not going to be able to hang. So that's another big problem is it's not just the secondary that's struggling in coverage. The chargers are not overly fast in the back end in the second and third levels of their defense. Uh, and they just, they struggle with chasing and tackling. It's been an issue for a while and it's really been a big problem this year. Okay, uh, and that's pretty much all you'll see from the linebackers. They have other linebackers on the roster. Um, Nick Neiman, former third-round pick, I think. Um, Ogma, Amen Ogbagmamiga, uh, former UDFA um, out of Oklahoma State, I think, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. Um, special team standouts. They're both core special teamers. They don't play on defense really at all unless somebody's hurt and they have to go out there. You'll see Neiman maybe, I don't know, 10 snaps a game, something like that, but he's really not on the field all that often on defense. Okay. Fair enough. Now, you know, the, the thing that really beat the Ravens in the 2018 playoff game, it's been a few years now, the Ravens had, you know, a big win over the chargers in the interim that could have gotten them over this, but you don't get over playoff losses as easily was that the chargers be just beat the hell out of the Ravens in the front four with some fairly pedestrian dudes and Ingram was okay, but he's kind of an older pass rusher at the time. And uh, you know, the, the, the group as a whole just overwhelmed the Ravens uh, in that game. Who was the, who's the guy I, I want to say Philot or, or who would be the guy I'm thinking of that, that, that has a pH in it. Um, pH. Trying to think. I, I, it'll, it'll come to me anyway. They get, they got their, they got their asses handed to them basically by the front four of the chargers, which caused Lamar Jackson a lot of trouble in his first year when he wasn't the passer he is now. 
that got them a big lead, caused turnovers, and 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 uh, basically cost the Ravens a chance to move on in a season where they had a pretty darn good team. Uh, it, it, how how is that that defensive line now has Khalil Mack? Any new, any word on Joey Bosa? First of all, of of, of his injury? he's he's on the IR. Um, if oh, he okay. comes back at all this year, it'll be very late in the season. So he's he's not a factor in this game. So yeah, their defensive line obviously they have Khalil Mack defensive end, outside linebacker, whatever you want to call him. Um, they drafted um, um, Tuli, Tuli Pelotu out of USC this year, who has been phenomenal. Um, I think he has four or five sacks this year. He's been very good at setting the edge. It seems like at least once or twice a game, he steps up and either gets a sack or makes a play in the running game. He's been outstanding. He, I know for me, he's far exceeded my expectations in his rookie year. He's been very, very good. Um, they let's see the rest of their defensive line. They've got Sebastian Joseph Day at defensive tackle, um, Austin Johnson at defensive tackle. They're the guys who are primarily on the field in base defense. Um, they have um, Morgan Fox, who is primarily a he's a defensive end who plays defensive tackle. Um, they use him in the twist and stunt game. He is part of their, you know, quote unquote NASCAR package in obvious passing situations. Um, Otito Agbania, who they drafted last year out of USC, um, he's another guy. He's 320 pound defensive tackle who plays some end. Uh, Fox Agban, Ag, I knew I was going to screw this up. Agbania, <laughs> uh, um, I got Agbanmiga and Agbania confused, but uh, Agbania. Um, he and Fox are going to play somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 snaps a game. And then you'll see, um, you'll see uh, Sebastian Joseph day and Austin Johnson playing somewhere in the neighborhood of about 40 snaps a game. So pretty, pretty significant rotation on the interior of that defensive line. They activate five on game day usually, or even go to six. Um, Let's see. They'll usually have five. They also have a draft pick this year, I believe fifth round draft pick uh, Scott Matlock. Uh, out of um, Boise State, who will also get some snaps. He'll, he'll, he was playing a lot when Ogbeni got hurt, um, not playing as much now, but he's he's generally out there too. Do they have any kick inside edges that um, would legitimately be called an, an outside line, a three, four outside linebacker, or basically um, th- that are guys who can take defensive line snaps away on passing downs? Uh, well, I would say. They they deploy uh, Khalil Mack and Tuli Pelotu uh, in a variety of ways. They both stand up on the edge. They'll both play inside um, on obvious passing downs. They'll have the two of them on the same side of the line of scrimmage on the same side of the line, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll run stunts and twists with them to get to the quarterback. Um, so those two guys are pretty flexible. Um, they can kick inside, play outside. Uh, like I said, Morgan Fox is a guy who they call him a defensive tackle. He's really – he's kind of a tweener. He's a small defensive tackle, kind of a big defensive end, um, very effective in the, in the in the line game um, part of the game, kind of a, a speed interior rusher, if okay. you will. All right, very good. Um, I, I guess the, the, the most general question I can ask, and we're running kind of long here, but this has been great stuff. really appreciate this, Jamie, is how do you expect them to defend what the Ravens bring to the table? So – the Ravens' major weapons right now are obviously Jackson, as it's always been, Flowers in, in the passing game. 
uh, Bateman now coming back in the passing game a little bit. Beckham had a big game last week, but I wouldn't call him a, a really enormous weapon. He's one of the guys, he's kind of a constant kind of uh, slot receiver that that the uh, that the Ravens will show you. And then the big the big addition to the offense recently is Keaton Mitchell, the speed guy. How, how do the uh, Chargers go about defending that? I wish I could tell you they haven't defended anybody all season. So uh, how they're going to defend those guys, I don't know. I mean, I, I would assume um, is is Zay Flowers mostly playing out of the slot? Is that uh, some, some some slots, some Z? They they do a little bit of both with him. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we know Derwin's going to be in the slot playing the star. They'll move him around a little bit. Um, I would expect him to try to match up with Zay whenever he can, uh, which is a little scary. We like Derwin in the slot, but he's had a little issue with some change of direction things. I think some of the injuries have taken their toll on him a little bit. So we'll see how he handles Zay in space. That'll be a really key matchup. Um, I would think, I I don't know what they're going to do with the secondary. I mean, I know who's going to be on the field. It's hard to say what the, I mean, they're going to play quarters and they're going to play cover six. That's just what they do. Um, there's not a whole lot of flexibility you're probably not going to see a whole lot of press man just because of the competition and the rotations they're going to have on the field. Uh, they're probably going to try to simplify it, simplify it by playing even more zone, which generally means we're going to let you catch the ball and hopefully we're going to tackle you. Okay. Um, they've struggled stopping the run. They've struggled stopping the pass and they've struggled getting the quarterback at times. So we'll see what happens. I, I'm not overly optimistic about this game because I, I, I know how well coached the Ravens are and I feel like they're going to have a game plan. They're probably going to run the ball down the chargers throats um, and they're going to have some success with big plays in the passing game. Cause that's just what the chargers do. They give up big plays, even though the whole defense is designed not to. Okay. Well, it's, it is typical that, that most opponents of the Ravens will play a lot of zone because they want to keep eyes on Jackson in terms of that. But the other possibility is that they use make heavy use of a spy, who would would Murray be the guy who'd be the natural spy for Jackson in a game like this? Probably it 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 might be some combination of Murray and Derwin at times. Okay. Would be my guess. Okay, very good. Um, okay, well, I, I don't do score predictions on the show because I always hate it when other people ask me score predictions on their <laughs> show. But if you'd like, uh, pick one player on the defense and one player on the offense who you think matches up well against the Ravens. I'm gonna say. I mean, on offense, it's Keenan. He's the best player on offense. He's the guy that if they're doing anything offensively, it's going to run through him for the most part. So I'll say Keenan. I think they're going to find ways to help him find favorable matchups and catch the ball in space. It's just what he does. Um, In terms of defense, I would say – I'm going to say Khalil Mack just because he's been playing some really good football really since the Raider game when he had that six sack game. Uh, He's been playing really well. He's been dynamite against the run and he's been rushing the passer really well. So I think those are the guys I go with. High high probability. Khalil Mack usually on that rush side. So he'd be, he seeks out the uh, uncovered tackle. Uh, They move him around. He'll play on both sides. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's uh, uh, that's interesting. Khalil Mack absolutely petrifies me in this game because I, I don't know how, how much you know, but the Ronnie Stanley is out right now, and they have uh, a backup short arm left tackle who's had a lot of trouble with some speed guys uh, over the course of his career. He's been he's been a, a reasonable NFL backup tackle at this point. 
but he had a couple of absolutely terrible games against Miles Garrett. And so if you if I mean, a lot of people have bad games versus Miles Garrett, but uh, if if you're facing Khalil Mack, you're probably and you're looking for a close cop. It might be somebody like Garrett who uh, uh, is, uh, you know, it may be a, sl- a half level above, but but still a great pass rusher, in terms of, it, certainly in terms of uh, what uh, Mac brings. Uh, Jamie, you've been a great guest. Tell me, tell folks here where they can find your work or maybe talk football online if they had a question about the Chargers. Yeah, you can find me at lightning underscore round. That's the, um, that's the handle for our, our podcast, the lightning round podcast. Uh, we do five shows a week. Uh, we have our after hours on Sundays after the games. Um, our, my partner Garrett does a show called score more. Um, we have a mailbag show on Tuesday. Score more is on Wednesday, Thursday. I do my preview shows um, for that upcoming week. And then our partner Craig does a show on Friday. Um, so check us out. We're on YouTube. You can find us at lightning round podcast on YouTube. Uh, and we are on the fans first sports network. Fans first. Gotcha. Yep. And are, are, is this podcast doubling as your own preview for the, for the chargers game this week? Uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. No sense in doing two shows. So yeah, if you could send me a link, um, I will definitely get that out to our discord and on Twitter and we'll, we'll drive some traffic to it. All right. Outstanding. Great show. Great show, Jamie. Really appreciate having you on. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. We've got a half week. We've got a bye week coming after this and would love to hear from any new people who have a, a an idea they're passionate about that the Baltimore Ravens should try. Uh, I'll get back to you very quickly. If you DM me, they're always open on Twitter. Jamie, thanks again for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.